Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Content Clearinghouse. I'm Josh Evans. And I'm Brett Chisholm. In the wake of Chadwick Boseman's tragic and completely unexpected passing, we wanted to pay tribute to him in the best way that we know how. We're foregoing our normal format to talk about how inspirational he was, both as a human being and as one of the greatest superhero characters of all time. And then we discuss one of our favorite MCU films, a movie that has struck a cultural nerve and for a good reason, Black Panther. And if you thought Brett could talk about The Matrix, wait till you hear him talk about Black Panther. Movies, shows, and video games, podcast books, and their acclaims. Let their favorite content become yours. It's the Content Clearing House. Content Clearing House. And it starts right now. Brett, how you doing, buddy? What up, buddy? I'm doing awesome. Been doing a lot of driving on this uh, epic road trip loop. Yeah, you sent me a crazy video of a lightning storm that you were in last night. What was that all about? Uh, Yeah, so Minnesota had some crazy thunderstorms, and I have honestly never seen anything like it. And I swear to you, it's like the Red Seas parted around us. There was red and purple. I mean, just like extreme radar returns to the north of us, really bad ones, and then pretty bad ones to the south of us. And it all just seemed to be going around us. I think two little bits of hail, uh, you know, because in an Airstream, you can really hear the the pitter-patter of water on the roof. It's very pleasant. Uh, but the bing, bang, bong of uh, hail is uh, a little painful. Um, but I just can't believe it. I think we totally lucked out. We were literally, Bree and I, at 2 in the morning, had rain jackets on, had our shoes on. We had, like, my meditation cushion. I, dude, it sounds like I'm making this up, but hear me out. Trying to meditate the storm away? We, I have this cushion that I, because I have terrible knees and hip flexibility, so I kneel on a meditation cushion mat thing. And we were going, and this is Bree's idea, we were going to hold this over our head and run to the bathrooms if there was a tornado or like a tree oh, was falling man. down. It was, and I'm deadly serious, if I had my one wheel, the helmet that I wear riding bikes or my one wheel, <laughs> if it would have been in the Airstream and not in outdoor storage, I would have been wearing that. Like we were kind of freaking out, dude. And like, you know, like Bree's not phased by much and I'm not like a scaredy cat. But I have a healthy respect for Mother Nature, and Mother Nature was pissed. You're Hollywood's Brett. <laughs> dude, speaking of one wheel, yeah. I'm glad you're all right, dude. That's pretty intense. Oh. Pretty intense. It was Speaking of the one yeah. wheel, my wrists are not broken. Congratulations. I'm, I'm happy to announce, and I have 17 miles on my one wheel now. Dude, I am... I've been riding it so hard. I'm so... Happy for you, and honestly for me too, because you one wheeling, like it's a success for me and for the show. Like our show about content for the listeners that have been following along with this journey since day one. It literally got me back in the sky skydiving, and now you're on the ground one wheeling. The show is all about us selling the idea of the things that we like to people, and we totally sold each other. So high five for us, yeah, buddy. buddy. That's awesome. Well, you know, the today here, uh, you know, just outside of the foothills, the 
the smoke cloud finally came to town and it was raining ash all day. It was, I mean, it like, it rolled in probably like one o'clock and it was just like, it was like the mist. It rolled in and it just like this heavy pallor over everything. And then small little ash flecks started coming down. And then it was raining this, like, it looked like burned pine needles that was just everywhere. It was just like this little tiny black, it looked like pine needles and it just covered like every surface. The car looked like, you know, it'd been snowing on it for a while. It was pretty crazy. Well, now it's probably nothing like what you were experiencing in rifle park, but actually it sounds exactly like that. Like when I was one wheeling around through ash, I felt like it was a dystopian film or something. And you really couldn't go outside. It, it smelled so bad. Like I took my one wheel, I was going to go ride and I just ended up spending the day inside because it was just so uncomfortable out there. Well, you know what's going to be really awesome, uh, great pairing with all the ash and smoke is that 60 degree temperature uh, swing that's predicted in the next few days in Colorado. It's supposed to snow tomorrow night. <laughs> it's crazy. 90 degrees to 30 degrees or something like that. It is crazy. And there is nothing people want to hear us talk about more than the weather. So, (laughs) (laughs) I got nothing to say Uh, to that. Yeah, I mean, it is basically the most interesting thing I prepared today. That's not true. (laughs) So we're doing a, we're going to do a little bit of a different show today. I mean, you know, the I think the whole world watched in sadness as it was, you know, as the news came out that Chadwick Boseman died on August twenty eighth, and I mean, I know I was like totally taken aback by it. I just love Black Panther. Like I just love the MCU, and it's just to me, it's just such a like inspirational feat in movie making. And totally, you know, Chadwick Boseman, such a big part of that. So we're kind of like, you know, we're mixing up our format a little bit today. We're not going to do a content circuit. You know, we're we're really just going to talk about how awesome Chadwick Boseman was, and then we're going to talk about Black Panther for a little while. Sounds like. Uh Sounds like two white guys want to talk about black entertainment. <laughs> That's exactly what we want to do. <laughs> no, I love this idea, man. And um, I can't think of a better film or a better MCU movie to because we talk about the MCU all the time. And I know that this is a movie that we, I mean, I, I've seen every MCU movie um, more more recently than I think like the first three or four in theaters. And man, I saw black Panther like two or three days after it came out and was just totally blown away. And like you, uh, completely blindsided. I mean, Chadwick Boseman, it's just, it's unbelievable. And it's a tragedy. It really is. I mean, he was like such an inspirational figure to the black community. And I think just like the world in general, you know, he's just, just so charismatic and just such a great face for, you know, the, just for the MCU and just for, you know, black actors in general. And it was, you know, dying at the age of 43, you know, after a four year battle with colon cancer and no one knew about it. You know, I read that even, you know, the people at Marvel were unaware, you know, the director, Ryan Coogler, the director of Black Panther had no idea. And wasn't he getting treatment like wall training and filming like various movies? Yeah. So 
Well, you know, his his family released the you know the most liked tweet of all time, seven point seven million likes and two point four million retweets. You know, I'm not. I don't want to read the the tweet, you know, verbatim. But you know, they said that he was, you know, he was he was diagnosed in 2016, stage three colon cancer, and he'd been fighting it for the last four years. And while he was fighting it, you know, he, he made wide range of movies. And he said, you know, they said that it was an honor for him, you know, to bring Black Panther to the screen. And they went on to say, you know, the family thanked people for you know, all their love and their respect during, you know, this trying time. I mean, I'm sure you guys have read it. I'm sure 7.7 million of you have read the tweet, but you know, it just, that, you know, that timeline that meant that, you know, being diagnosed in 2016, he, that was the year that he debuted as King T'Challa in uh, Captain America civil war. And that means that after his diagnosis, you know, he filmed and appeared in Marshall, where he played Thurgood Marshall, the future Supreme Court Justice, Black Panther, two more Avenger movies, 21 Bridges, Spike Lee's The Five Bloods, and the upcoming, uh, the play adaptation, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which I believe is coming to Netflix. So he was, he was seriously working the entire time. And I imagine that, you know, having that kind of diagnosis it really like puts into perspective the things that are important in your life and just makes you like, if you have the energy, it just makes you want to get things done. That's how I imagine that I would feel. Uh, yeah. And also one of the best SNL skits of all time, the black jeopardy where he plays King T'Challa. <laughs> we'll we'll definitely, we'll definitely put that up in the show notes. Oh, I think man. SNL is going to be uh, showing his guest, um, you know, the, the, the guest starring uh, with Chadwick Boseman episode of SNL as well. Oh, man, I got to check that out. I haven't seen that. I wonder how that slipped by me. <laughs> so he, I was looking into like his, his like acting history. And in 2013, in uh, the biopic 42, he played the first uh, African-American player in the baseball major leagues played Jackie Robinson. And he was the only person to ever portray Jackie Robinson on screen besides Jackie Robinson himself from the Jackie Robinson story in 1950. So that was, you know, like the time of that casting, he'd really only had like these one off and bit parts on TV and a couple like side character roles in movies. He was basically an unknown at the time. And he was given this opportunity to portray such a significant character from black history. And then he followed that up in 2014 when he portrayed James Brown and get on up where he did all of his own dancing and some of his own singing, which is insane. Like if you've ever seen James Brown dance, you know, it's basically like being a borderline stunt man. So <laughs> yeah. in, in just like one year, he had these two important roles and they were miles apart in their performance. And that versatility is what captured Marvel's eye for him to play Black Panther. So while he was promoting Get On Up, he got the call from Marvel Studios, which can even imagine like getting a call like as an actor to be like one of the, the flagship MCU Avenger characters. Oh my god, man. Like I I don't know what motivates actors, and I'm sure it's different for different people, of course. But for a nerd like me, 
I mean, that would be better than any like Oscar Academy Award. Like, I'd rather be in a Marvel film than like a groundbreaking drama, personally. And I, I, I imagine that a lot of and what's great about Marvel Entertainment uh, is that it, it does. And I'm going to talk about this when I get into the movie. Like, it's not just fun entertainment. Like, they explore a lot of important topics and make it a very accessible to a wide range of audiences. And they re- explore these ideas very, very well and responsibly. And so, man, I, and you get to wear like sweet costumes. You get to the wear ma- a mocap suit and they can like <laughs> animate your costume onto you later. Totally. I mean, that, I imagine that's got to be just an absolute like dream come true for so many actors. Yeah, that's like the ultimate, I think. Of course, I'm just like a nerd. I probably don't understand true actor motivations. Like maybe you want to read Shakespeare or something, but it seems like portraying, especially in the MCU, man, that's just like, yeah, that's the coolest stuff going on right now. And Kevin Feige, who's like the head of the MCU, said, he actually said that, oh, you say this about a lot of people, like to be nice, but really Chadwick Boseman was the only choice to play King T'Challa. So in like three years, he went from television to a vital biopic actor to one of the most beloved characters in Hollywood with Black Panther. And that's like one of the most meteoric rises I've ever heard of. That's really cool. I mean, uh, I have to ask, do you think having a terminal illness motivated him and would it motivate you? I mean, if you found out that you were dealing like daily with the reality of potentially your 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 end, your demise. Do you think that would motivate you differently to get after life? Definitely. I think for me, I, I already feel like there's a ticking clock and there's nothing like that going on with me. You know, like if you were actually given, you know, the, this even if it's just the idea that your time might be coming to end, I think that I would be trying to cram as much into every single day as I could and try to leave like some kind of amazing legacy like this. Yeah. I guess that's what living the dream is all about getting after it. And you can't really, I mean, you can't really discuss his acting career without talking about black Panther, you know, so I don't want to step too much on what you're going to talk about later, but there are a few things that really, just really awesome and inspirational things that I learned about while I was researching him. So there's this quote by uh, Jesse J. Holland in the, uh, he's a journalist from the Baltimore sun. And he said that his quote was, we might still be talking about a glass ceiling for black directors, writers, actors, and Hollywood. We might still be wondering whether a billion dollar franchise can be led by an African American actor. We, We might still be wondering if there can be a black superhero who'd be as popular outside of the African-American community, we now know the answer to all those questions. So that was like, that's that's like what Black Panther did for the world. Totally. And did you read about, when you were researching the movie, did you read about like the accents from the movie? No, I did not. So Chadwick Boseman insisted that the characters of Wakanda have African accents, and Marvel, Marvel initially wanted them to have British or American accents, and he insisted that, that they all have accents that represented the true nature of Wakanda and uh, the, the independence that Wakanda is, you know, 
proven to have. He said that it'd be a deal breaker for him if they had uh, like colonized accents because he didn't want it to seem like anyone had ever come in and and right totally had like a, a Western influence. I mean, that yeah. is a huge theme in the movie. Is like you know when you have. Uh, well, like a, when a biologist or when Darwin was traveling through the Galapagos Islands and found these species, these branches of the animal kingdom that were similar in some ways to things we already were familiar with, lizards, birds, but they were drastically different. And, we, you know, obviously this was parallel paths of evolution. I mean, it was like uh, what happens when you isolate this over time? And Wakanda, I mean, the whole exploration of it is... This is an area in Africa that had all these fantastic resources, all of vibranium, and was not colonized. And that's like, you know, the the beauty of uh, fiction where we can explore those ideas. So like, it, oh my God, it wouldn't make sense if they had British accents. Like it would actually seem kind of offensive. <laughs> it would, yeah. And that was like his entire point is like the... Wakanda is completely independent, you know, and it's, it's never been oppressed. And that was, I mean, for that to be a breaking point, that's really awesome. That's like, that's just like, kind of like shows his character of like what was important to him. Yeah. That's really cool. I hadn't heard that. And he said that like, when, you know, he talked to Marvel about it and at first they were kind of hesitant, but then they agreed to go along with his idea And he said that you can't expect everyone to have the same understanding, but for them to listen, I give them the most respect. So it's cool that like with this multi-billion dollar franchise, you know, they're still like listening to the people who, you know, to us as the viewer, the most important people in the entire project, which, which is the faces on screen. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's who's carrying the story to us. Yeah. Like I know, like I'll never forget my intro to uh, T'Challa as a character, his intro in Civil War, you know, he's... Oh, yeah, they, I talk about that for sure. God, it's just... <laughs> I just love, like, how he's not even presented as, like, you know, he's he's nothing, really. He's just kind of there watching the, the proceedings, and then the explosion happens, and then he does, like, the... Whatever the Black Panther thing is, and the suit comes on. And, like, the images of him jumping over... Uh, Captain America and scratching the shield, you know, it's, yeah. it's just totally. such an awesome image. Cause like up to that point, uh, Captain America's shield has been proven to be completely invincible. Right. So it's cool. Like that, that, that piece was kind of placed on the chessboard as like this new element in the world. And it like demonstrated how powerful he was. Oh, totally. And I just like, absolutely. You know, it's something I love about the Marvel movies. Like, they have to fit in all these intricate plots and, like, plan out how all these all these movies are connected. And they do it so well. And they, like, can introduce all these characters and they can lay down the groundwork. And, of course, there's a couple of movies where uh, it was a little too much going on. Um, like, Age of Ultron is one that I'm thinking of. But Definitely you know, a low point. Yeah, but I mean, th- think about that Zack Snyder DC, whatever it was, when they were trying to cram all this in there. I mean, it's it's just like I can't imagine how difficult it is to do this well, and like Black Panther's appearance in that movie was the perfect example of of just like expert execution. And he had like so much history already by the time his own standalone movie came up. Like, I don't think that 
Black Panther would have worked as a standalone movie if it was his first introduction because, you know, I'm sure we'll get into it, but like half the movie, he doesn't even have his powers. You know, it's like stripped from him. And that would only work if he had been introduced and you already understood and liked the character before his in his personal movie came up. Right. For sure. And like learning that he'd been battling colon cancer since 2016 and knowing what goes into performing in Marvel movies, it's really unbelievable. Like the, the regimen, the diet and the workout and the training, it's really unlike anything else on the planet. Like here, like Chris Evans talk about how hard it was to be captain America because what he had to keep up with for so many years and to keep up with that schedule. He had to go to church every Sunday. He had to be the most respectable man in the world. (laughs) He had to have honor. He's like, man, I don't have honor. I don't want to fake this. He had to to actually go back and fight in world war (laughs) two. He's a method actor. (laughs) So, you know, that like dealing with that mental and physical stress of his battle with cancer while performing in these like extremely grueling movies, that truly is superhuman and a real example of like the domination of the human spirit. And that that should be an inspiration to everyone of what a human is capable of. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And like we talked about earlier, you know, Marvel movies mean so much to so many people. And he was a huge part of legitimizing the art form of comic book movies. Like in Endgame. So Endgame proved like the emotional impact these movies can have. And I think it's very significant that Black Panther is the first one out of the portal after Hulk snaps everyone back. And he's, he's certainly being set up to be like a leader in this world. And Totally. I was thinking, you know, it's going to be very interesting the way that Marvel handles it. But I saw an article today that they are planning on potentially having King T'Challa die off screen and then Shuri, his sister, taking the mantle as the new Black Panther. Oh, wow. I was actually, so I had not really, um, I didn't have the bandwidth to research, um, you know, what the plans were for Black Panther 2. And I also didn't want to be like one of those people that's like, I don't know, puts being a Marvel fan over just being like a compassionate human being. And I was afraid to ask that question. But I mean, it's totally a legitimate question. I mean, this is I was very, very thrilled to know there was a Black Panther 2 in production when I saw Black Panther. And, you know, of course, like, this is going to change everything because there is no separation between Black Panther, King T'Challa, and Chadwick Boseman. Like, they are the one and the same. Yeah, you couldn't recast that character. No. I found another thing, just I was just looking into, like, you know, what kind of person he was, and I found that he he partnered with one of the Black Panther producers, Nate Moore, to work with Make-A-Wish to help children with terminal diseases. So ter- during lockdown, he was working with Moore to produce a, uh, a voice message from King T'Challa for a, a young fan who was sick. And he also worked to like, get him a bag of toys and basically just make his wish of like having you know a connection to King T'Challa. And he wrote... I found this text that he wrote to Nate Moore that said when, when he was he- hearing about this child, you know, it said, it broke me, man. We, but we need to do that for them. People deserve abundant life and special moments. They've been through hell battling diseases. And if we're able to bring joy and ease their suffering for a moment and hopefully moments as he goes through the bags, then we made a difference in his life. And I, like when I read that, I just thought about like how intense that is, you know, like having kids it hurts me so much to think about children going through things like that. And it's so awesome that 
Even during his own battle, he was working to make life better for other people. Definitely, uh, he obviously knew how to find happiness through meaning and purpose and through serving others, basically. Yeah. So he's you know, a huge inspiration for the black community and for inclusion and acceptance and always working to make people's lives around him better. And, you know, I just wanted to say thank you, Chadwick Boseman, for being such a badass and inspirational figure on and off the screen. And I wanted to, you know, before I, uh, before we go on and talk about the movie, I found this quote and this is something that when I read this, I was like, man, I got to do this. This almost encapsulates my life philosophy. I just didn't realize this is what it was. And I don't think I could have said it as elegantly, but he said that when I stand before God at the end of my life, I would hope that I would not have a single bit of talent left. And I could say, I used everything you gave me. And regardless of like your thoughts on religion or the existence of God, that is just so awesome. That's, that is like true life pilot, life pilot talk right there. And that's like the, the highest honor I feel like I can bestow on a human. So just to just to burn through every bit of talent that you started with and keep keep progressing and learning new things like that's what I want to do with my life that's what I want to do with the time I have left on this planet. Oh. That's awesome man. Well, um thanks for uh enlightening me enlightening me about one of my favorite uh action hero actors. Do you want to take a quick break? Yeah, let's do it. All right, we'll uh, get back to uh, the movie and into some content. content. The Content Clearinghouse is brought to you by Best Maps Ever. They make checklist posters for outdoor adventurers who want to see it all. If you want to visit every national park in the United States, climb every 14er in Colorado, or ski every slope in New England, Best Maps Ever posters are the perfect way to track and inspire your quest. Every map is lovingly designed with icons marking each location so you can stick a pin in the icon or color it in with a marker as you check off the areas you've been to. They offer mounting and framing services for maps that are ready for pinning right out of the box, or if you prefer to mount the map yourself, there are tips on the website to help you with that. They have a slew of maps relating to protected areas and public lands like state parks, national forests, and even more obscure maps like the National Wild and Scenic Rivers system. So Josh, one of the maps my wife and I have mounted in our camper is the National Parks map. Now it's covered in pins because, well, you know, Bree and I get around. And Best Maps Ever makes our gallivanting around the country even more fun because we can put a pin in the map to prove that we've been there and done that. No one could ever cheat that system, Brett. Well, it is on the honor system. Best Maps Ever does not employ any sort of pin-related security system that will come to your house and check and see if you've actually visited the places you've pinned. <gasps> Since you brought it up, I have uh, the skydiving drop zone map hanging up in my office. It's one of the few decorations I have that's not celebrating one of my many athletic achievements. In fact, it's hanging up on the wall right next to my world's most humble man trophy. For all your cartographic needs, visit bestmapsever.com. They've got the best maps ever. Clear it out. Welcome back to the Content Clearinghouse. Brett, you ready to get into this movie? Here we go. 
Black Panther. So it this is a 2018 superhero film. Uh, it is the 18th film in the franchise that we love so much, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You might have heard of it. Um, now this is definitely rings a bell. Basically, <laughs> yeah, this is the child of Marvel Studios, which is a subsidiary of a another company you might have heard of, the Walt Disney Corporation. Now that one does not ring a bell. No. All right. Well, uh, I'll I'll shoot you a link later so you can hear all, all about right, cool. it. Now, uh, in 2009, it was uh, New Year's Eve. Actually, Disney swallowed Marvel Entertainment for four billion dollars, and I look at this as a just a step on the path, uh, the evolutionary path of becoming this this complex content organism. They're going to own everything one day. They are definitely vying for, uh, for world dominance and entertainment. They own Uh, the Simpsons. (laughs) There there you go. That's the measuring stick. (laughs) That is the crazy thing is though, when I was looking up different things for this, Disney's not even number one. I mean, we're talking and it depends on if you're looking at size, revenue, valuation, but Comcast, AT&T, even Netflix um, has surpassed Disney, and they're just kind of always vying for more sunlight in the jungle of entertainment companies. Well, Disney um, really like scoops up the good stuff, though, because there's I think so a lot Netflix of trash on Netflix. I mean, Netflix has good stuff, but it's not like Disney, man. It's not like Disney Plus. Yeah, I mean, I I I think there's a lot of great uh, content on Netflix and Amazon Prime, but when I see AT and T and Comcast, I'm like, get out of here! Can't even imagine even, what they have. Doesn't seem even, like. Uh, yeah, I mean, it it depends on how you measure this too, because even uh, Alphabet is on these lists a lot because of, I guess, things like YouTube, you know, Google. But it's that's not real. They don't. They're not producing content like Netflix and uh, Disney. Definitely not. But I mean, this all this vying for uh, entertainment do- dominance kind of reminds me of the five African tribes warring over a vibranium-filled meteorite that uh, was finally united when one warrior ingested a heart-shaped herb affected by the metal and gained superhuman abilities to become the first Black Panther to unite the tribes and form Wakanda. Was a hell of a segue. <laughs> so um, let's get into the world of Contentanda. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's do it. I'm trying. I'm trying to make this this tragedy just a little bit lighter. I I think we got to have some fun with this movie. Yeah, so, man, the movie's awesome. That's what we're doing here now. Absolutely. So the Marvel Cinematic Universe is actually made up of 23 movies in total. I personally don't count The Incredible Hulk. I think it's cheesy garbage. I know you like it. I know it has a great cast. Right. got some pretty good effects. Um, but if it were up to me, I would Hulk smash that movie. <laughs> it falls what- outside of the, like, it feels like it's, like, canon adjacent. Right. That's a good yeah. way to put it, for sure. But besides that movie, I mean, in my opinion, everything that remains is, like, this almost perfectly created content behemoth except age uh, of ultron yeah i mean we can we can touch on that a little bit still think it's a a pretty good movie it's it's no incredible hulk yeah it's true now just to give you um 
some perspective here on the MCU. As of April 2020, it is the highest grossing film franchise in the world with a total worldwide box office revenue of $22.55 billion U.S. dollars. Now, with that kind of money, I looked it up and did the math. You could buy 4,971 pounds of vibranium. Woo! Is there even (laughs) that much on Earth? I think there's way more than that in Wakanda. I think there's in the multiple trillions. Mm, Um, Now, that rate... Was now that 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 uh, the going rate uh, of vibranium, according to Fantastic Four comic number six oh seven, is ten thousand dollars per gram. Not too bad. <laughs> did when you were researching, did you read about what makes vibranium so powerful? Uh, no. Lay it on me. I I I couldn't believe I didn't know this. I just assumed it was like some magical uh, metal, but it's like it's it completely absorbs any kind of impact or shock that hits it. And so it's like why Captain America's shield, you know, he can like basically block any kind of explosion or bullets with it. And it's why, you know, Black Panther's suit, Suit, it can absorb kinetic damage and then he can release it later. And apparently it's also some kind of great superconductor. Who knows, whatever. That seems like something that exists in our world. But (laughs) uh, that's, uh, I mean, that's also accounts for the name vibranium. You know, it just... It just takes anything you can you can punish it with. Interesting. So, was there any in that research? Was there anything that explained like th- those special properties and how they apply to the uh, heart shaped herb and that giving people I superpowers? I didn't see anything about that. That kind of struck me as some sort of MacGuffin, but um, I'm sure, okay. like deep in the reference material, there's you know there's probably a story about it. Yeah. Probably is. Nerds, get on it. <laughs> Write us. Let us know. Um, so Black Panther is the 18th MCU movie. Um, it has the honor of third in my top three favorite MCU movies of all time. Ooh, interesting. Yeah. I uh, Thor Ragnarok and uh, Guardians of the Galaxy tie for first for me. And then Infinity War is second. And Black Panther is third. So it's in Do you your know top off four. Well, is what you're telling me. <laughs> there's two movies in one, and then there's a second and a third. Is how I'm doing that math. That's a pretty so good list. It's vibranium logic. Um, do you do you have a top five or top three oh off the top? Oh man, I hadn't thought about it, but I, I <laughs> Thor Ragnarok is fantastic. Um, I really love God. It's so hard to to narrow it down to three, man. I really love like it the is. entire. Uh, Me too. The entire in-game storyline. Yeah, you know, and I kind of think of those as two movies, or I think of the two movies as one. So I would say, if I had to, if I'm going to use Brett logic, I would probably probably say Infinity War and Endgame as number one, Thor Ragnarok as number two, and Black Panther as number three. Nice. Yeah, that's that uh, all checks out. So, back to the movie. The titular Black Panther, uh, as you mentioned before, made his debut in Captain America Civil War. Another excellent film. It was one of the greatest action sequences of the franchise. And this is the movie where we're introduced to the King of Wakanda, T'Chaka, and obviously his son T'Challa at the conference in Vienna, right before King T'Chaka gets blown up by a big old bomb, traumatizing everyone involved. 
On a positive note for contentologists, that tragedy motivated Prince T'Challa to spring into action because obvious spoiler alert, T'Challa is the Black <laughs> Panther. What? Brett, <laughs> you're revealing some secrets here. That's right. So um, what is the Black Panther? This is the singular warrior of the Wakandan tribes, all the tribes together that make up Wakanda, who is entrusted with the superpowers that are granted to you by this glowing heart-shaped herb, which is ingested in a ritualistic ceremony reminiscent of a South American ayahuasca ceremony, which is something I'm going to be getting into at the end of the episode. Nice. Yes, sir. I'm interested but not only to hear that. Oh, yeah. This is, uh, that's where I'm going to really dive in. But not only does Black Panther have superpowers, he's also wearing a nearly impenetrable stealth suit. This is advanced armor. It makes Iron Man's gear look like retro cyberpunk cosplay, for sure. Vibranium. Vibranium. Uh, so you mentioned the storing of the kinetic energy. He can release it back. That plays a lot into the action sequences in Black Panther. It's also obviously extremely lightweight and flexible. And I did notice it is as tight as Michelle Pfeiffer's leather Catwoman costume. <laughs> it's very revealing. But fortunately, and praise the ancestors for this, it is not as shiny as that particular cat character from Tim Burton's soft core fetish flick, Batman Returns. It's not pleather. <laughs> that is correct. Uh, nothing wrong with that, though. Uh, I was so not major... complaining about the pleather in Batman Returns. Uh, no one was. Uh, so, major spoilers. Uh, T'Challa, who is already the Black Panther... He also becomes the king of Wakanda, uh, both by being the heir to the throne, but also by defeating the one person that has challenged T'Challa for the crown in ritual combat, M'Baku. He's the leader of the Jabari tribe, and it's basically the one tribe that hasn't joined the Kumbaya circle of everyone sitting around in colorful costumes, crazy hair accessories, and the giant lip plate. That just gets me every time. It's crazy looking. You know what I really love, too? Like, the way that the that Wakanda, the tribes are structured... When they lay it out at the beginning, they have the uh, the sand table sequence that shows like the whole history of Wakanda, and it's oh, like I love that. Yeah, it's like it's so clever Starts too because right. it's just it's so well done and it like sets up like one of like the key pieces of a technology, the sand holographic table. Totally, and then it tells you the entire story like through basically like like what's the title sequence. It's all man like nobody does those montages like Marvel. They're so good at like summing up thousands of years of history in like a two minute segment. Totally. And I, and the style of those like intro scenes or title sequences, whatever you want to call them, it always matches the individual theme of the movie. Like if you think of Thor Ragnarok, you get just like the hilarious Chris Hemsworth hanging in the cage and just like, how did I get here? And he's like kind of talking to a skeleton. It's hilarious. You know, in Spider-Man, you get this, uh, one of the Spider-Man movies, I think it was Far From Home, maybe, or anyway, he it's like a cell phone footage. You remember that one? It's like he's recording. It's all vertical and yeah. grainy. But I I think that this opening in Black Panther, like you said, it, it just like right off the bat shows you this super advanced technology that is 
in this movie, light years ahead of anything else that you've seen before, even Iron Man's best tech, which sets up everything else for the rest of the MCU. But it also is like a little bit more serious and shows you like, okay, this is going to be like science fiction, have some like social commentary and some politics, and you're going to like it. And it shows they were never colonized too. It shows like the wars for independence that happened like in the beginning with the tribes. And it it shows like how the mountain tribe breaks off and forms its own like kind of separate, its own like separate independent state within Wakanda. Totally. And actually I'm glad you mentioned that because on that note, the Jabari, they are, like you said, they're a secretive isolationist tribe but they are within a secretive isolationist country. And this is a storytelling device that I decided a few hours ago to call a, an analogy fractal. Ooh. It is further explored. Thank you. I like, I, I was, it was analogy uh, fractal or a metaphor Russian doll. Uh, yeah, the fractal's better. <laughs> Absolutely. So they explore this further when the Jabari chooses to change their ways to help the neighboring tribes. And that is what empowers the country of Wakanda to change their ways to help their neighboring tribes, tribes, which is literally all the other countries in the world. So that's that fractal uh, that I'm talking about. And like I said, the world is still in the dark ages in terms of the technology compared to Wakanda. So they're all opening their borders starting from a small scale and working their way out to create positive change. The wise build bridges, the foolish build barriers. Oh, yeah. I love this movie. So after T'Challa is officially crowned, uh, some political shit comes up, because it always does when you're king, and T'Challa ignores the extremely wise advice of his extremely capable badass warrior chicks, the Dora Milaje, and they tell him, we do not need a superhero right now. We need a fucking king. We need a leader during these crazy times. Marvel's but, only F-bomb. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm paraphrasing here. This is like <laughs> what they were saying it with their eyes. But T'Challa just, you know, this is before his hero's journey. He goes off to exact revenge, which does not go well at first. But it does kick off his hero's journey. And, of course, the origin story of the Black Panther superhero which it does get us one of the most badass warriors in the history of entertainment, and it whips him into shape for the insanity to come in Infinity War and Endgame. So I did want to touch on Hero's Journey. I do have a little snippet about this. Would you like to explain to listeners the idea of a Hero's Journey, or do you want me to, you want me to talk about this? Take it away. Okay, so I know you've mentioned this before, but... In uh, narratology and comparative <laughs> mythology, those are real words, according to Wikipedia. <laughs> Very much like contentology, they are real things. <laughs> but they really are. The hero's journey, or monomyth, is the common template of stories that involve a hero who goes on an adventure, is victorious in a decisive crisis, and comes home changed or transformed. Isn't there typically now, a, a falling at some point during a hero's journey as well? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, and so in contentology, what we call this is uh, Luke Skywalker or Bilbo Baggins. Luke Skywalkerism. That's right. 
So one of my favorite things about this movie is that the story arc of T'Challa is outstanding, but also somewhat predictable, I think, at least in terms of kind of like the realm of superhero origin stories. But the villains and their backstories, as well as all the themes, the social ideas explored, and the style, the pace, the acting, they're so exceptional and they're so far from predictable that you get this great combo in this movie, like salty fries and a sweet chocolate shake. Oh, yes. I thought I was the only one that liked that. <laughs> so the, the hero's journey grounds you while everything else twists you around. And this, this pairing pulls you into this engaging and obviously super impressive movie from the perspective of storytelling. So let me explain. The predictable parts. You have this sort of uh, unrequited love because darn work gets in the way. You've got lingering pain from a familial loss. You have the great power and the great responsibility that comes with it. Hashtag Spider-Man. You have a fall from the top, the journey or the change, the rise again. And then most notably in this movie, you have the deeply damaging betrayal. So the driving force of basically everything in this movie is the moment T'Chaka is forced to kill his brother who is stealing vibranium from Wakanda to assist a black market arms dealer. T'Chaka had good intentions of saving Zuri, AKA my favorite forest Whitaker. Njabu had good intentions of sharing Wakanda's technology to help oppressed black people all over the world. Because Wakanda we learn has more than enough knowledge and resources to help everyone all over the world, but they're hoarding this vibranium like a black Scrooge McDuck. And <laughs> honestly, it's 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 justifiable. It's rightfully so. It, the world in the MCU universe, just like our world, it is nuts. And Wakanda is just trying to take care of their their tribe. I mean, they lucked out. They got this meteorite. They've been binding it for thousands of years. You know, they just want to do their thing, and it's all with good intentions, but you've probably heard that good intentions pave a road somewhere, and it's not Wakanda. No, it's uh, right down to a real <laughs> shit show. <laughs> War is heck. Um, so, all these good intentions, claws to Njabu's chest and an abandoned son. And of course, the giant lie to cover everything up. And now you've created some family drama with serious implications. And on a personal note, if you have ever found out about a big stinky lie that was kept from you, or you yourself have told a lie and got caught, which if you're like me, you've probably had both happen to you. You can probably relate to T'Chaka's shame and defensiveness. And then on the flip side, T'Challa's broken hearted disappointment and the acting of John Candy and Chadwick Boseman is so good for me that it physically hurts me to watch these scenes. And although I've never been involved in this, the scale of this betrayal, I mean, it's like family homicides and Royal royalty superhero shit. It is still relatable, and it is these moments to me watching the movie where, like, I feel like the walls are closing in. I mean, it really moves me. Yeah, that's, like, one of the great powers of the MCU. It's just, like, 
the subject matter seems if you're uninitiated just like to be kids stuff but it really has brought like these these real social issues and like true human emotion to what you know has otherwise been like kind of maybe like a cheesy genre before they came in and just totally revolutionized movie making on every front right exactly so let me uh, kind of switch here and talk uh, about more of the unpredictable parts of the story. The hot sauce, if you will, in this entree that makes the movie so spicy and delicious. You're loving these analogies tonight. <laughs> like an analogy machine. Like an analogy an- man. Analogy fractal. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I know you've heard me say this, but the quality of a superhero movie is dependent not on the superhero, but on the villain. Oh, this movie has the greatest Marvel villain of all time. I I would argue that it has not one, but two Ooh, of the greatest villains of all time. Starting off with Andy Serkis oh, man. as Ulysses Claw. So great. Oh, my God. He was criminally underused in Age of Ultron, too. Oh my gosh, so good. I mean, once again, that was just like his little introduction yeah. so that he, he has a little story uh, to explore later. I see we have so, to also, we have to uh-huh. also, uh, we have to put Thanos up there in the uh, in the list of the greatest villains of all time, but Thanos and oh, Killmonger, man, both so for sure. good, so well written. For sure. I mean, Thanos, you know, going out of the MCU, what's the best Batman movie ever? The Dark Knight. Why? Because the Joker. Greatest villain. You know, I mean, it really it really is all about the zest, uh, the flavor of the spice. villain. <laughs> it's about that analogy spice. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Putting it on thick. So um, Claw, played by Andy Serkis, he is a black market arms dealer. He is an international criminal. And just the, you know, none of those things are that interesting from like a character perspective, but his performance and he, he's this crazy chaotic South African. He has this crazy chaotic South African vibe. That's so difficult to put into words. So I, I, I I figured it out how I want to explain this one smile and wisecrack from claw. And I feel like I just watched five hours of die Antwood with my eyes <laughs> held open like clockwork oh, orange. <laughs> Ooh, that's rough. And if you haven't watched a Die Antwood music video on YouTube, you'll know what I mean after you do. I know people like it, but it's just, it, and it's not bad. It's just crazy, chaotic South African insanity. Watch Chappie if you're not sure what Brett's talking about. There you go. I mean, I, I don't feel like you get the full experience unless you watch their music videos God, their personally. music videos are very off-putting <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> it's it's like bad spicy it is i love yeah. how how claw is like he just like revels in the mayhem it's like he's like never happier than when a gunfight is going on yeah uh, totally he's just got that like crazy smile and you don't really um, even see Andy Circus acting as himself very often. No, either. usually he's you playing don't. a golem or like a monkey or something. <laughs> right, <laughs> he's like king of uh, mocap. Oh, for sure, absolutely. And somehow he always like 
projects you know he always comes through even in these cg characters and i remember there was like a if i remember correctly there was a controversy surrounding his performance as gollum in one of the um not the hobbit what's it called the lord of the rings (laughs) thank (laughs) (laughs) i'm the loser of the content tonight after that I am, that bra- I am retracting fart. your contentology degree, Brett. <laughs> Not again. It's only one of the greatest trilogies of all time right up there with Twilight. I know that you love that so much. <laughs> oh, don't get me started. Bella. So, Is that a person from that movie? Uh, sure. I think so. Don't play coy uh, with yeah. me, Brett. <laughs> Bella. So, um, yeah, there. If you re- do, you remember that a controversy about Andy Serkis not being eligible for an Oscar at, because it was a CG character? No, but that is just okay. so stupid. For sure, that is so dumb. For sure. Well, turns out Andy Serkis in the flesh is just as good, if not better, than a golem or a monkey or something because he's crazy he's insane he's awesome i couldn't let's i was surprised uh-huh. how how big of a dude he is too dude he's because, ripped in this movie he's huge he's just like i don't know i always assumed that the golem mocap actor was like kind of small like golem i i would did not expect him to be like giant like bodybuilder guy well i think he bulked up for this movie yeah you got to yeah, in a marvel I, movie for, yeah, but he like, I feel like he wasn't like lifting weights at the gym like Chadwick Boseman and Michael B. Jordan. I feel like he was like wrestling rhinos in Africa to like, get, like I don't beast. know, man. He's just beastly. <laughs> totally. All right, let's move on. We have our baddie piece de resistance oh, with so good. Michael B. Jordan playing Eric Killmonger. I'm going to do like a solid... 15 minutes on this guy. Sidebar, do you remember what you said about the Russian guy in the movie Limitless that lends a bunch of money to Bradley Cooper's character? That he is dubious? <laughs> that's that's good, but no, something else. No, you should enlighten me. I haven't had my so, NCT today, so I can't remember everything <laughs> I've ever said. So you you said he was like the worst possible human to be on NZT. Definitely. And that... And just like some, you just come up with these things that stick with me for such a long time. And for some reason, I always think of you and I watching Limitless together. It's one uh, of the greatest w- movie going experiences of my entire life, Brett. <laughs> totally. So when I see Bilbo Baggins, aka Dr. Watson, aka the original Office Jim, aka Martin Freeman in Black Panther, the that was CIA an AKA operative, fractal. <laughs> When you see him explaining the background of Eric Stevens, a.k.a. Ninjadka, a.k.a. the Killmonger, it's, I always think of you talking about the scary Russian dude. And I'm not sure why, but this is like the scariest guy you could imagine to have this particular skill set. To get the heart flower. Oh, my God. So, Wakandan in origin... The Killmonger grew up in a rough neighborhood surrounded by crime. And after his father was murdered, he decided to dedicate his life to forcibly dethrone his cousin. With laser focus, Killmonger attended the U.S. Naval Academy, MIT, joined the Navy SEALs. He was deployed to Afghanistan, Iraq, Africa, 
He also had the highest count of confirmed kills. I mean, this kind of character is totally within the realm of possibilities. And I was when I watched this movie yesterday with Bree, I actually made the point like Bree, there there has to be like a small tiny fraction, just a tiny percentage of soldiers, US soldiers that that go to war to kill people. I mean, am I am I wrong? Like that has to be a thing. It's got to be. I mean, that like that's that background and skill set with the right, I guess, the wrong motivation is how you would create a real life supervillain. Like having totally. those skills would just you'd just be so much more lethal and above like the mental game of anyone else you came up against. And if you had like, it's like in the boys, how you know just having the ha- already having kind of the proclivity towards sociopathic behavior and then you you know being bestowed with these gifts whether it's from uh compound v or just through rigorous training eventually you're if you're so inclined you're just not going to feel like you're restricted by the the real world totally and i i mean there's you know i can think of obvious examples when it comes to history and not the United States. I mean, think of Joseph Mengele. I mean, this is like clearly somebody that was a psychopath. Like he would have been a serial killer, but he was just in, in his perspective, the right place at the right time. State sponsored. For sure. Like experiment, execute. And, you know, I'm sure he wasn't like, oh, I'm just doing, like, I don't like this. I'm just doing my civic duty. Like he was a monster. He was was a monster. Yeah, he Absolutely. was totally but, into his job. He was the he was like the I think they called him the smiling doctor or something. He was like always so cheerful to be working in the concentration camp and performing his experiments. Yeah, well, on that thread, I mean, there of course there uh, there's a different climate here and thank God there's no genocide currently happening. But just statistically speaking, there just has to be like a psychopathic Navy SEAL out there that wanted to kill people. I don't know. Anyway, I'm going to move on. So in Black Panther, Killmonger was recruited into a joint special operations command ghost unit associated with the CIA as a highly skilled black ops mercenary. Ghost recon. And apparently, <laughs> apparently JSOC uh, is a real thing. And it sounds very intense. Yeah. So he would literally go off the grid to commit assassinations, take down foreign governments. And this is a skill set that came in very handy when it came time to overthrow the highly advanced, but getting a little bit too comfy and relaxed world of Wakanda. Now, in Killmonger's case, he is clearly uh, skilled as a soldier. And although I don't think he is a psychopath... I do feel like he does not hesitate to kill and he is so dispassionate and disconnected from the act that he has basically molded himself into such an effective human weapon that he is basically swimming in psychopathic waters. Yeah, he he definitely isn't like afraid to to do anything to accomplish his goals. Yeah. So uh, and Michael B. Jordan is so good in this. I mean, when you first meet him, you're just like kind of enamored with him. Like you're not, you're not terrified at first. Like when I saw 
Killmonger on screen first. It was the glasses. And I didn't... Uh, dude, he's he looking incognito. at these African artifacts. He just looks like a fly dude. He's curious about history. He's like a scholar with style. And then immediately he takes control of this environment, takes control over the people in it, and it's it's one of the best heist scenes I've ever seen. And then from that moment on, I am terrified of Killmonger. You got to touch on Claw's uh, his move where he tells the uh, like the the guy at the museum, "Oh, you can go, you can go," and he lets him run like five yeah. steps away and shoots him in the back. Oh. Says, looks better if they're spread out. Makes us look sloppy. <laughs> it's oh such my a, gosh. Such a twisted scene. Dude, and Killmonger, like, putting on the face mask and, like, I'm just feeling it. Like, oh. So badass. So badass. He's like an anti-hero, yeah. but terrifying. So, it, as if he wasn't already one of the, like, scariest badasses ever, he takes off his shirt at one point, and you see all the scars that we've just caught a glimpse of on his arm, and they're all over his body. And these scars, of course, have a story, and every single one marks the story of Killmonger taking a life. And I looked Confirmed it up. Kill. This part. That's right. So this particular type of tribal scarring is actually a real thing. It is called crocodile scarring. And in real life, it represents the marks that you would get if a crocodile bit you. So Yikes. I'm going to put the link in the no- in the show notes. There is a quote crocodile cult in Papua New Guinea. And a uh, young person will go through this initiation. It's this ceremony, which symbolizes being offered up as food for a crocodile. The tribes believe that when the crocodile swallows you, you die, then you become alive again, and you're not a boy anymore. You're a man, and those scars on your body represent the wounds from being chewed up by the crocodile. That is brutal. Pretty crazy. Yeah. So, on top of our hero's journey, the incredible villains, you get an amazing, unique soundscape that you could do a whole episode on. I mean, it's the music and just the sound effects. I mean, it's unlike anything else in the MCU. has original music from three of my favorite musicians ever, Anderson Pack, James Blake, and Kendrick Lamar. Awesome. And then finally, the real reason that this move has clearly struck a nerve and sat at number one for five weeks in a row when it was released, which has not happened since Avatar, uh, a movie that came out in 2009, another favorite of ours. Total classic. And then before that, the total classic, and The Sixth Sense before that in 1999. So this movie, as you've touched on it, I mean, this, this explores some extremely important issues and it still stays fun and and stays action-packed. And this is not new to Marvel. I remember the first Marvel movie that I saw that had me hooked completely on the MCU and it was Captain America Winter's Soldier. Oh my God. That's like, that's in like the top three best Marvel movies on so many lists. It's like, it's one of the ones that's like heralded for like Oscar level achievement and everything. It's a great movie. It's really good. And I I mean, I remember vividly, I was on a uh, layover on an overnight in Bedford, Massachusetts, and I just like walked to a movie by myself. I just wanted to kill some time. And, you know, Captain America, Winter Soldier. When I left, I mean, I was thinking about that movie for days, weeks. I mean, it has become 
years. They talk about freedom, security, and the inversely proportionate relationship of those things. And it stuck with me. And that's when I realized like, okay, these movies are not messing around. That's why it's so hard to pick your own personal top three because when I was picking my top three, I didn't factor in Winter Soldier. I didn't factor in Civil War. I didn't factor in Spider-Man, Homecoming. So many amazing movies. It's insane what they've accomplished. It really is. And, you know, this this is the content, and this is the reason that this content transcends entertainment and it finds a, a new meaning in exploring reality through fiction. And, I mean, Winter Soldier, it's still, it's still like one of my favorite movies ever because of the dialogue between Captain America and Nick Fury, not the action. Yeah. And this is what really takes Black Panther into the content stratosphere of greatness. I mean, we're talking extremely important issues getting explored here. Institutional racism, colonization, oppression, and it does it and it's stylish and it's fun and it's amazing. And instead of being dressed up like a political, you know, this this political opinion, this editorial which would be extremely easy given uh, the the nature of these topics, the importance of the topics, and this this hyper electrified and disturbing political climate we are in. Instead of instead of that, it's this piece of elevated art. It's something anyone can enjoy, and it just happens to be created by a collective of black greatness that explores the topic of black greatness and greatness in general. It's got a black director, black cast, black musicians. It tackles black social commentary. There is a white Bilbo Baggins in there and it all comes together and it helps all of us black and white understand that these issues are not black and white. And it then manages to explore themes of feminism and also very briefly vegetarianism. (laughs) One of the best vegetarian jokes I've ever heard. (laughs) What was the joke? Uh, it's when the leader of the Jabari tribe is like threatening to eat them all or feed Martin Freeman's oh, yeah. to his children. And then he just kind of like breaks the tension like, we're vegetarians. So good. <laughs> That's pretty good, yeah. The only time a vegetarian has said he's vegetarian and made people smile and laugh. Usually so, you don't want to hear about it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> They, they managed to pull that off, too. I know so, you're better than me. <laughs> these, the, these are complex and difficult subjects to deal with, both in fiction and in life. But you mentioned words of wisdom from T'Challa. There, there is a way to change and to grow. And we have to remember that more connects us than separates us. And we should be building bridges. That's what the wise man does. The foolish build barriers. And we have to find a way to look after one another as if we were on one single tribe. So, like I said, white guys talking about black entertainment. I thought I'd change it up real quick. <laughs> Let's hear it. So, as a sober guy, I've been sober since 2018. How about I talk about a drug that I've never done? Would that Let's be fun? Hear it. Yeah, that does sound fun, Brett. <laughs> This won't be weird at all. So in an uh, article titled Ayahuasca and its obvious ties to the heart-shaped herb of Black Panther, great descriptive title there, which once again, I will link to in the show notes. The author makes a very strong case about the explicit references to healer plants 
like ayahuasca. And I actually did not stumble across this. I was searching for it because I had read this book a long time ago called DMT, A Spirit Molecule. Very interesting. There's a documentary on Netflix. And this was during that time I was trying to answer questions and curiosities I had about consciousness that I've mentioned previously. And I vaguely remembered people that participated in this legal and approved experiment that's involving this super powerful psychoactive chemical, DMT, dimethyltryptamine. These people would see black panthers when visiting other realms. And it turns out my memory of this was not uh, an imagination or a hallucination. The, the film depicts careful cultivation of the glowing heart-shaped herb. This is a plant that's being treated with reverence and humility. It is crushed and served to T'Challa in ritual fashion. Zuri seems like a bit of a shaman. He's calling upon the ancestral plane. T'Challa's drinking this nasty purple shit. He's covered in sand. He's clearly fearful and quivering. And then he experiences visions both terrifying and beautiful where he encounters deep and profound fears. Much like Ayahuasca, it does not seem like he's having a good time. (laughs) Exactly. And, um, I mean, he's brought to this, this, this intermediary heavenly realm between life and death. And he relives the trauma of witnessing his father's murder. And like you said, when he awakens, it's, he's not having a good time. He is bursting forth. He's breathless. He's confused. He's terrified. They have to calm him down. They have to, you know, get him relaxed. And, but when he's kind of back and he returns fully he is stronger he is more in control of his deepest fears and he is basically reborn as the black panther the author in the article that i mentioned and i highly recommend you read this he reveals his own experience of drinking a liquid that was cultivated with the same care and delivered in a very similar ritualistic fashion on an an ayahuasca retreat he talks about how he felt himself dying how reality itself became his worst nightmare, a hellish environment of suffering where demons threatened all that he knew to be true. He said his sense of identity was crumbling. He experienced an ego death and he traveled through unfolding visions of familial trauma, having nonverbal conversations with beings, both angelic and demonic and ultimately following a soft feminine voice until he dug deeper than he ever knew possible to find an enduring source of light within and he trusted a higher source of wisdom was guiding him to become the man he was capable of being does this sound a little similar (laughs) uh that does not sound like a bad afternoon brett where can we get some of this (laughs) it sounds a little uh a little intense especially for someone that's sober like me it's almost certainly uh, based on this that's so interesting too and i wonder if like from the original source material if it's you know, based on the, the same kind of themes. Yeah. Um, that I did not dig into. I did learn that there are some storytelling differences uh, between how Wakanda was portrayed in the comics and the movies, and that was so they could explore those isolationist themes. But I, I even if it is based on source material, the fact that it's so prevalent in this movie is impressive on Disney's part. It seems... Wonder Extremely what their ayahuasca budget was. Ancient wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't even have to travel to Bolivia. 
So, ayahuasca, I'm going to touch on it briefly. It is known as the vine of the soul. Now, this is a brew from the Amazon that takes people on inner journeys. It is made from combining two plants that I cannot pronounce. One of them contains large amounts of DMT. But if you consume this in isolation, you actually have digestive enzymes that negate the DMT's effects. So, nothing happens. Now, what this other vine does, acts, it acts as a MAO inhibitor, monamine oxide inhibitor, that quiets the enzymes down. Now, you got this DMT entering the bloodstream, the brain, and you have this extended trip. It's often uh, intensely vivid, life-altering imagery. And interestingly, no one really knows how the Amazonian natives could have possibly figured out how to combine these two plants, which on the surface, they have no link. But the legends say that people did not make this connection on their own. That in fact, they were guided to it by otherworldly beings who descended into the jungle to bear the magical drink that would connect them with the radiant powers of the heavens. And this is a quote. (laughs) So no one knows for certain how long this brew has been consumed by Amazonian tribes. Uh, There's speculation that its use goes back over 2,000 years. Other estimates go back 5,000 years. So this is not a new thing. Well, you're starting to border on uh, where some people believe humanity started just 6,000 years ago, Brett. (laughs) I thought the flat earth was only 4,500 years old. (laughs) Well, give or take. It's so hard to keep fake facts straight. Um, So people speak of ayahuasca, often called a medicine or remedy, in the feminine, claiming it connects them to the, quote, divine mother who has come to heal them of their deepest illnesses. Now, this healing often comes through harsh confrontation with the shadow self, where practitioners are forced to relive traumatic moments, face repressed truths, and or experience their deepest fears as reality, including death itself. Now, this letting go often comes through violent purging in the form of vomit, diarrhea, or, this would be fun, both at the same time. Ooh, a good afternoon. Yeah, a Saturday night. Um, But nevertheless, through all this craziness, people maintain that the experience heals them of afflictions that no Western medication has been able to fix. Reports of ayahuasca curing people of depression, anxiety, PTSD, and addiction are not rare. A lot of people claim that it connects them to heavenly realms and entities of other dimensions And in spite of the discomfort, people keep returning to this because supposedly it leads them to their best self and their inner superhero. But here's where it gets, here's where it gets interesting. The connections between Black Panther and Ayahuasca continue, and this is straight out of the article. Panthers are not actually a specific species, but rather refer to the melanistic color variant, aka the black pigment of any large cat. The two most common panthers are leopards and jaguars, and jaguars, especially black ones, are highly revered in Amazonian ayahuasca lore. They're seen as a shamanic ally, both spirit and animal, and they're known to visit ritual participants in their profoundest depths of their visions. Their appearance signifies power, stealth, and fearlessness, 
obviously quality is the black panther so please check out uh sean lawler's article uh he does a fantastic job explaining the connections uh between people's healing experiences with ayahuasca and of course the movie we've been talking about for over an hour now and he also talks about his own personal experience and uh as i mentioned dmt a spirit molecule i mean it's crazy how much the parallels are for uh for someone that hasn't even experienced what the the documentary is about and what these people are talking about. That's pretty, uh, that's crazy. I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, it, it's definitely, the heart-shaped plant is definitely based on this. There, there are way too many parallels. Totally. And what I think is also a crazy fact that you brought up is that a panther is not its own species. That is something I've never heard before. And I wonder, like, what the I wonder if there's any significance to that that kind of imagery in the in the in the world of Wakanda. I, I mean, I guess it's a, still a direct link to the ayahuasca, the the ayahuasca journey. Yeah, it might be. I mean, I I am guessing that the term Black Panther had, you know linked meaning to the civil rights movement and the black panthers considering when the the marvel comics almost certainly uh, were first developing this character however i i think that in true fantastic content fashion and marvel fashion and disney fashion they have uh you know used these symbols and these terms to explore many 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 different things and many 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 different aspects of these ideas and these terms and these names and i freaking love that so yeah, like like the comic book <sighs> genre is so much more intelligent than people give it credit for i mean like i collected comics my entire adolescent life and you know it's just like people that aren't into comics think of them as just like Oh, it's a funny book or something, and it's like comics are never funny. Very rarely, you know, they're right. they're always tackling like social issues, and they're doing it through a lens of you know like the superheroes are always a stand-in for some sort of some sort of other group that's on on Earth at this time, or that you know like the civil rights movement. You know, it's like that's it's a very common theme to have either your superhero or your oppressor as a stand-in for like a, a real world analog. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, Josh, with that, I mean, I think we've covered death. We've covered race. We've covered drugs. I don't think there's much left for me to say. I will, uh, I will share my final endorsement. Black Panther is truly a shining Onyx gem within the wait for it pantheon of the marvel oh. cinematic universe <laughs> not one to miss some more wordplay always i love this movie and um i will be uh thinking about chadwick boseman and his friends and family tonight and uh, it just sucks to lose such an amazing actor and such a talented and compassionate human being yeah, is a true loss to the world. So, Chadwick Boseman, thank you for everything that you did, being an inspiration to the world. And uh, thank you to the listeners for uh, checking out the Content Clearinghouse each and every week. We truly appreciate that. Uh, please hit us up on social media at Content Clearinghouse. And uh, 
send us a message. Let us know what you think about the show. And with that, I think we're going to sign off, Brett. Awesome, amazing work tonight. I loved it. Content Honda forever. (laughs) Perfect. We'll see you guys next week.